Welcome to Season 2 of the Pogel Podcast. I'm Matt Targa, producer of the Pogel Podcast for the Pogel Project. Pogel stands for Process-Oriented Guided Inquiry Learning, a student-centered approach that guides students in constructing their own understanding of content and helps them develop important skills such as teamwork, communication, critical thinking, and problem-solving. The Pogel Podcast is an ongoing conversation from the Pogel Project that celebrates innovative educators both in and out of the classroom. During Season 2, we will feature a total of nine episodes focusing on the project's strategic plan. In our first episode, we focus on the historical context of Pogel's strategic plan. Specifically, how did the project create its plan, and why is it so important? Today, co-host Alex Grushow, who is a professor of chemistry at Ryder University and chair of the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, interviews Dr. Richard S. Moog, professor in the Department of Chemistry at Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and the executive director of the Pogel Project as well as Susan Shadel, Vice Provost for Undergraduate Studies and Distinguished Professor of Chemistry and Biochemistry and the founder of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Boise State University in Idaho. Alex, Rick, and Susan, thank you for being here today to kick off Season 2 of the Pogel Podcast. And Alex, I will now pass the baton over to you. In today's episode, we begin the second season of the Pogel Podcast. In our first season, we introduced you to a number of interesting people connected with the Pogel Project and had them describe their academic journey and how they got connected with Pogel and how they now use it in their educational setting. This season, we will explore the inner workings of the Pogel Project. The project, it turns out, is not just about creating materials and disseminating to the broader educational community. There are many other activities that people in the organization undertake to promote the mission of the Pogel Project. We'll talk with educators around the country who have worked to steer and shape various aspects of the project. And through different episodes this season, listeners will learn about the many opportunities to participate in the workings of the Pogel Project. Later in this second season of the Pogel Podcast, we will talk with people associated with the various working groups to describe their work with the Pogel Project. Please tune in to more Pogel podcasts this season for details on all the activities of the Pogel Project and how you can become involved with this community of practitioners. So we'll begin this season discussing something that most organizations like the Pogel Project have, but don't often utilize to their fullest extent, the strategic plan. Now, many of us in higher education hear those words and do anything we can to not be anywhere near a committee associated with developing a strategic plan. It is often felt that these documents are developed and then filed away to be examined at some later date. However, for those people who are working closely with the Pogel Project, it is actually the opposite case. The development of the strategic plan for the Pogel Project has been a community-based effort, and its periodic revision has also been performed by much of the, as much of the community as possible. To describe these efforts today, I have Rick Moog, the executive director of the Pogel Project, and Susan Shadel of Boise State University, who was one of the early architects of the strategic plan for the Pogel Project. Rick, Susan, welcome to the Pogel Podcast. Happy to be Thanks, here. Alex. <laughs> Thank you. So, Rick, I want to start with you. Um, you know, we're going to go outline some behind the scenes activities of the Pogel Project this season. And our reason for doing this is we want to make these activities more visible 
uh, and invite others in our community to participate. But I think it's fair to say that most of these activities that we engage in stem from the strategic plan. Can you tell us a little bit about how this plan is used to guide our activities of the larger Pogo community? Sure, Alex, I'm happy to do that. Um, before I do, I just wanna thank you again for this, for the invitation and to thank Susan for being here. Uh, I, I would say that she was, mo she was more or at least different than one of the architects of the strategic plan. Uh, Susan was actually on the steering committee at the time and she was the leader of our strategic plan effort. So she's an excellent uh, choice as somebody to, to be talking to about this. You know, I think the thing that, uh, that um, we do is what is we treat strategic plans the way they they actually should be treated, which is as both strategic and a plan. And the idea is that we use the strategic plan as a basis for making decisions about resource allocation. I mean, that's essentially what we do. We the process involves deciding what are, from a strategic perspective, the goals we want to accomplish in the in the next five or so years, and then articulate those and then act on them in a planned way to try to achieve those goals um, for the project. So when something is, is when something is in our strategic plan, it means that we've decided that this is something that if there's a decision about resource allocations that we have to make, the things that are in our plan are the things that we're going to give priority to. It doesn't mean that other activities aren't of value, right, or are, don't contribute to the project. But, you know, we, we, we have limited resources, as does any organization, and we need a plan for how to make decisions about allocating those resources, human resources, financial resources, time resources. That's how we think about our strategic plan. Okay, thanks. So now, early in the development of the Pogo project, there was no strategic plan. I mean, as we talked about last season, you know, it stemmed from some uh, grants from the National Science Foundation. So what prompted the leadership within the Pogo project to actually say, oh, you know what, we need a strategic plan? Because it's not like <clears throat> people wake up in the morning and say, I think I need a strategic plan. Right. Well, so there's a couple of things, right? The first thing is that, as you mentioned, when we started on this endeavor, um, and at that time, it was when we started, it wasn't even called the Pogo Project. But when we started on this endeavor, it was from a large grant from the National Science Foundation. Um, and and we had two consecutive large uh, you know, grants from, from the NSF that funded the project um, starting in in 2003 up through 2011 or 2012 is basically when that, that, that major funding ran out. And when we were funded by the National Science Foundation, we didn't have a strategic plan because our plan was we're doing what we said we were gonna do in our grant application, right? In our, in our proposal. So that really, the, 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 the goals of the funded proposals really defined what our strategic plan was because that's what we said we were going to do. Of course, there were some, some deviations from that as things evolved, but that was essentially the nature of the strategic plan. Um, it was the goals as articulated in our National Science Foundation proposals that had been funded. Um, in fall of 2010, 
um, is when we actually incorporated as independent 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, well, as a nonprofit organization, we actually got our 501c3 status in June of, of 2011. And at that time, we, as a corporation, had a board of directors uh, and it, we had a steering committee that uh, made up of practitioners. And it was really a combined um, perspective from those leadership teams that it would make sense for us to have a strategic plan as we were now stepping into our next phase as an independent uh, corporation. So that was really, that was really the motivation. And, and I think the people in, the, in leadership, on the steering committee, on the board, all agreed that we needed to establish some principles for making decisions um, about resource allocation and also bringing the community together to agree on where were we going and what did we want to do? What were our priorities? So it was really a combination of those two things. Okay. So it was decided that we need a, a strategic plan for, as you say, resource allocation. So how does one go about doing that, you know, from scratch? So you, you mentioned the steering committee, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the steering committee in a later episode and, and you know, bringing community together. So how do you go about doing that? And so you said that Susan was part of the steering committee back then. So how did you get started? Let me jump in here. Um, I also want to thank you for the invitation to talk about this. It's fun. It has been fun to kind of go back and unearth a bunch of documents from 2012 to remind myself about what happened. Um, so I think it has always been true that on the steering committee, different people play particular different roles and, and move particular projects forward. And um, at that time, Rick asked me, uh, the, the idea that we needed a strategic plan had emerged and Rick said, hey, would you lead this effort? And I said, sure, <laughs> but I hadn't led a strategic planning effort ever. Um, and so I went to someone on my campus that regularly worked at the department or the college level on strategic planning. Um, and said, hey, are there you know, resources I should look at? And she recommended a book to me and I actually looked up what it was. Um, it was called Collaborative Strategic Planning in Higher Education by Patrick Sanagan, and I can give it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Um, and she recommended a few things, particular things out of the book. I don't think I read the whole book, um, but what it had in it was a bunch of really good ideas for activities that could help an organization or a group of people um, orient themselves towards the process of planning. And as we know, the, the Pogo Project and the folks who are in it care a lot about process when it comes to our pedagogy and in the classroom. And it turns out we also care about process when it comes to moving something like a strategic plan forward. Um, and so that's really how I got started. And I'm happy to talk about some of the specific things, but we, we ended up using the Pogel National Meeting as the kind of nucleating gathering to engage a, a smaller, smaller group of people, not the entire community, but the folks who, who came to the PNM that year, which was probably about 60 folks um, in, in a series of activities designed to lead us to a set of goals, which as Rick said, then served as the, the priorities for the project for the next five years. So um, this idea of community development is really stemmed from just your research on, okay, how do we do this? So it's not like you had any 
prior uh, experience. But uh, I think it's interesting that you point out process. Um, and this is something that to those people who are new to Pogel, you know, they'll hear about process skills and, and trying to make sure that everything goes well in the class. But those people who are, who've been around the Pogel project for a little while realize that nothing ever happens by chance at a Pogel meeting or, you know, Pogel activity. Everything is well orchestrated. And so, so can you tell us a little bit about how this was orchestrated? Absolutely. So one of the activities that came out of that book was an invitation to think about both the history of an organization, as well as what were the factors that were going to be um, shaping the organization and its activities going forward. So one of the first things we did, um, so each year at the Pogel National Meeting, the steering committee meets for a day or a day and a half before everyone else comes in. And we used a portion of that time, maybe even the whole part, I don't remember how much time it took, but to conduct a, to create a timeline and to put together, we, you know, we, we were in classic in-person fashion with big post-it notes and small post-it notes and markers and brainstorming, um, asking about what had the phases of the Pogel project been, right? What did it look like pre-funding? What did it look like during that period of time when it was funded by the National Science Foundation? And um, we, we mapped out who were the players, what was going on, um, what did being involved in the project look like at that time? What were the highs, the lows, the burning issues? Um, what significant changes moved the project forward to the place that it was at that moment, which in the, that was May of 2012. And I mean, it was fascinating for the, for the steering committee at the time to kind of pull together all those ideas because of course, any organization is going to be influenced by its past and it's going to shape how people in the organization think about moving forward. And so that was the very first thing we did. And then when, once everyone who came to the, um, and we did a bunch of reflection activities around that. We used a framework called ORID, which is observation, reflect, um, uh, imagine, and now I don't remember what the D is, but I can look it up. Um, we did a bunch of reflection activities around it, which again, for those of us in the Polo Project, that makes perfect sense, right? We think about being metacognitive, helping our students reflect on their learning. And so that kind of process piece um, fit right in with our community culture. Anyway, once we got to the point where folks were had come together um, in the PNM, um, we shared the um, some of the history in a kind of encapsulated form. And then we did an activity with everyone where we thought about what the future timeline was. And um, again, this was big post-it notes on the wall, little post-it notes, markers, et cetera. And we were thinking about future events that might occur, um, issues that might influence the, the direction of the project and its activities, trends, which included, for example, trends in higher education. And, uh, and we, uh, together, you know, did a bunch of, of intentionally designed activities around mapping out how people in the room saw that. And we again use this ORID frame, um, sorry, yeah, ORID framework, and the D is for decision. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we generated this kind of messy picture of, of what the future would be. And 
in between that activity and then the next, there were there was a small group of us that were kind of making sense of what was going on. The next step was to, to pull together the really brainstorming about, okay, so what are the things we could do in this space? Um, and I can go into more detail, but, but suffice it to say that we ended up doing a lot of brainstorming about what we could do. And again, lots of big post-it notes, lots of people walking around, gallery walks. And what we ended up with is a lot of ideas that emerged into a number of themes. And so by the time we finished the, the Pogo National meeting that year, we had a, a set of themes and a kind of, and we had a lot of discussion around it, right? And so one of the things that I think happened is we engaged the larger community in thinking about what is going to be important to, uh, to the community. From there, and I'm gonna kind of gloss over a lot of detail here, but what we did with those themes is this, the steering committee then over the next few months shaped them into goals. And the, those goals went out for feedback to the, to the larger community by survey. And then that following fall, which would have been October of 2012, we ended up shaping the, um, those themes into, I think it was six goals that were that we essentially became the strategic plan for the that was going to guide things for the next five years. Right. So one of the things that I'm getting out of this is not only was it, you know, looking back and seeing, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing well? But also where do we want to go? There were some some directions that the Pogo project at that point had decided we're going to take on this piece that we really haven't thought about before, but it seemed like everyone in the community wanted the project to go in that direction. Rick, would you, would you sort of say that that's one of the things that comes out of the strategic planning? Um, yes, I, I think that um, the way I would, I look at it, it I, I look at it is, because uh, we've done this twice now, is that um, there are some things that are not surprises at all. There are some things that, We've been doing. It's clear we're going to. We need to continue doing. And there's a community consensus that yes, that's what we. You know, that's important to continue to focus on. Um, and so I and I think that's not probably not surprising for any organization that's been around for a little while and does a strategic plan. You know, it's it's generally the case that there are some things that are important that you continue to do and you're going to, that you've done and you're going to continue to do into the future, perhaps modified slightly. I think the, the other thing that's interesting is, as you point out, Alex, this idea that out of this process, which is really a bottom-up process rather than a top-down process, right? Out of this process, that interesting, some, some interesting things emerge that are, um, that, that, that are coming from the community as new ideas. And I'll just tell you uh, one of them uh, that I think is, is interesting. Um, and that is that early on, uh, the Pogel project was um, exclusively uh, focused on STEM fields. And in the first strategic plan, when we were doing it, there was some sentiment about stating in the strategic plan that we were going to expand outside of the STEM fields as a, as a strategic objective. And in the end, we decided not to do that. That is, we just, that, that, of course, that didn't mean that we weren't welcoming to people 
from the arts and the humanities and so forth, but that we weren't going to have a strategic priority be looking toward um, how to support those people and in those fields. That was not part of the initial strategic plan. When we went through the process the second time, we ended up deciding that that actually was part of the strategic plan. And so our current strategic plan has as part of it um, the, I don't remember exactly how it's articulated, but, but looking for ways to support and expand of the implementation and use of POGOL beyond the sciences and math. Right. Um, I, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say that that's something that grew out of a community um, response. It was not something that was decided from the top down. Right. So, uh, yeah, I was part of that uh, second pass at the steering, mm -hmm. uh, at the strategic plan. Um, and, and I found it interesting how things changed, like this, the, the, some of the directions of the Pogo project either became more articulated or people mm -hmm. within the community said, we really ought to do this. So, so one of the characteristics of the uh, Pogo project is we have these specific working groups that, again, some people are familiar with and, and they've uh, heard about. And these working groups target specific activities that have developed, been identified typically by the strategic plan as we should work on this, we should develop this. Um, now, can either of you sort of explain how these working groups arose? Was this something that existed before the strategic plan or did they come out of the strategic plan? Because it seems like most of the working groups have some connection to the strategic plan. So was it which it seems like a chicken and egg question, and I was sort of wondering which was which. So maybe I'll I'll try to address that first. Um, during the 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 pre um, strategic plan days, during the NSF funded days, we uh, the leadership of those uh, grants tried a couple of different ways of engaging uh, members of the community more broadly in working group-like activities. And I don't think the project was really mature enough in those first, in that first decade to support that. We tried, it didn't, it just didn't work. The approach now, it, I will just tell you that, I mean, I had to look this up because I wanted to remember the, the history also. And that is that the, we adopted the first strategic plan in January of 2013. Um, and so the 2013 national meeting in end of May, early June was the first one that took place under the auspices of a strategic plan. And some of the effort at that meeting, and I, I don't recall, but I imagine Susan was <laughs> responsible for kind of getting the people at the national meeting to start thinking about how we're going to engage with the strategic plan. At that one, things were not quite as organized as they became in the next year, because the following year, in 2014, we essentially began what are now our working groups. Um, those are groups of people who are focused on some a particular aspect, narrow or broad, that is a, a, a reflected in our strategic plan, because as I said, we use it to, for making resource allocation decisions. So we don't have a strategic plan about every single, you know, sort of bullet 
point underneath our currently five strategic plan goals, but based on the interest in the community and what we think makes sense in terms of working on them with, with uh, groups of community members. Our working groups are aligned with the strategic, strategic plan, and there's a member of the steering committee who is sort of responsible for, as a liaison, uh, it, it, it broadly to make sure that we on, uh, collectively on the steering committee know what's going on in all of those working groups. I don't know if Susan has anything to, yeah. to add to that. Yeah, let me add a couple of things. Um, so my recollection is similar to Rick's. Um, one thing I think is that after we did all this work to generate the, the goals, which initially were adopted in January of 2013, I think we felt like that had been really good work, right? That that not only the, were the goals yes. useful, um, but that there had been a lot of engagement across the Pogo community. And we didn't want to just say, okay, that's good. And we'll put it on a shelf and let's continue on and never look at it. And I mean, I mean, I think that's the problem with many strategic plans um, is even if the plan itself is good, people don't use it as a touchstone. And so in that, PNM, the Pogo National Meeting in spring of 2013, we really wanted to use the strategic plan as an anchor. And I don't think at the time that we had a broad, uh, like a grand vision for like, we're going to, this is how we're going to engage the community going forward. We're going to create these working groups. But because the, the Pogo National Meeting had always, you know, at least since I had been attending, had always been a time where work got done for the project. And so the thought was, we've got these strategic ideas now, let's use the Pogo National Meeting to identify what work could be done initially at the PNM. But I think we even thought, but you know, you can't get everything done in four or five days at the PNM. So maybe we can find some ways to have some projects get traction that can go forward. And that's really what emerged into working groups. I don't even think we were, like we didn't come into that PNM saying, we're going to form working groups associated with each of the each of the goals. It wasn't that um, structured, in part because, as as Rick mentioned, prior to to this, we had tried a number of things to have activity that would go on, kind of regionally or in, in other kinds of ways. That it just had never gotten much traction, and so we didn't know whether this was, we didn't go in knowing that this is what it was gonna look like. But it turned out, I think that knowing that you were working on something that had a strategic component to it was a really important way for people to engage and contribute to the project. And I, I'll say one more thing about this. I think really up until the strategic plan, a lot of what was happening was kind of operational, right? How do we know whether a pogol activity is a pogol activity? Well, I guess we need to make a rubric. Um, how are we going to run workshops? And how are we gonna make sure workshops are consistent whether you go in to workshop in Boston or in Florida or in Idaho? And the project had matured enough by around 2013 that those operational things kind of weren't necessary anymore, or not that they weren't necessary, but they didn't take as much time and attention. And so we were able to pivot to the, these questions about what is of strategic importance because the baseline kind of operations for the project were established. Yeah, Alex, let me just, I wanna just, if you don't mind, I wanna follow up on that just with one other comment, which is that um, I think that to, for me, um, this evolution 
that the project went through from uh, grant funded to independent to establishing a, st a, a strategic plan to actually treating the strategic plan seriously as a way of prioritizing our resource allocation actually demonstrates the power of a strategic plan as a guiding light for organizing work and getting really interesting and exciting things done. Um, if you take it seriously and treat it as it, what it's supposed to be, because to me, you know, in the last, over the last, you know, roughly eight years since this strategic plan was first implemented, the result of treating it as a serious um, document that is a consensus of the community's uh, view of what is really important to accomplish has resulted in some of the most uh, amazing uh, progress, transformation, ideas, uh, that, that, that one could imagine. And it's just the work that our current and past working groups have done um, is truly remarkable. Um, you know, as I say all the time, the people in the Polgo project are, are really great and they work really hard. Um, those two things are true, but they also, as a, the, the community also is just remarkable in its ability to think about important things um, and act on them in ways that are really productive. So I, I'm just a big fan of strategic plans when they are actually used the way that they're intended. Susan, go And ahead. I want to jump in one more time to add to that. So amen to Rick. <laughs> like, <laughs> people, people find me very odd when I say, I love strategic plans, but it's this kind of strategic plan that is that is really valuable. The other thing I would say is that I think their strategic plan in the Pogel project context serves not just as a list of things, right? It is, as, as Rick said, it animates great ideas, good work, et cetera, but it also serves as a framework and a context for meaning making within the community, right? Why is this the thing that's important, right? So each time that the strategic plan, first in its original creation and then in, in its being updated, forces the community to grapple with how do we frame what's important and I think the example of uh, constraining things to stem which wasn't a like it wasn't really a constraint but like deciding this is where we're going to focus on stem disciplines versus more broadly was a really important conversation to be had around where do we think we can make the most impact where do we have people who are ready to move on things what is the larger you know, higher ed community ready for, like that, it serves as a platform for that kind of meaning making that then makes it easier for the working groups to, to dig in and get work done going forward. Yeah, and I, I would agree that one of the, I wanna add one thing to that is that it is the community that sort of looks at the strategic plan and, you know, having been part of working on the strategic plan, I sort of look at it and say, yeah, these are all things that are important. They sort of are things that we all value to some, some degree. Some of them are things that I can really wrap my head around and I can work for the project in this way where I feel like I can contribute. And so this is one of the things, uh, you know, we've mentioned this idea of working groups and uh, 
we're going to talk more about what some of the working groups do in, in later episodes. But really, the key here is that these working groups sort of, now I understand, stemmed from the strategic plan. And, you know, if you find a working group that is doing something that's like, yeah, I can contribute to that. Yeah, I can um, be a part of that. That's how I get brought into the, to the larger Pogo community to do more than just be a Pogo practitioner um, and sort of help move the project forward. You know, as, as, as we've, we've talked about, adding more than just STEM fields to our umbrella, uh, you know, is, is something that some people felt really strongly about. And so that is something that the project has been uh, actively working on. Um, so, you know, we're going to do a little bit of reflection now. Uh, Susan, it's been a couple of years since your initial work with the project. Um, and, you know, you haven't has been as closely tied to the project um, as, you, as you used to be. But, but in helping us uh, develop that first strategic plan, looking back on it, you, you've already said a few of these things. But, but what really strikes you about how the Pogo community continues to embrace a strategic plan when so many other organizations do not seem to have such a connection with their organizational documents. So what, yeah. what, what about, what about the project seems to make it work? I mean, Rick touched on this, but I want to hear your thoughts too. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I'm going to go back to something you said at the very beginning, which is nothing happens in the Pogo project. That's not intentional. I mean, and that's maybe an exaggeration, but almost everything that happens in the Pogo project is very, very intentional. And I think that, what is exciting about that work is it reflects that commitment to um, saying we want to make a difference to our stu the students in our classes, to the way, way teaching is conducted in higher education, and we're going to be able to do that more effectively and more purposefully if we have a, a framework like a strategic plan. I also think that, the, as I've already said, the process that we use to create it was then consistent with the kind of thinking that folks who use Pogol in their classrooms already bring to their teaching, right? What do we do when we're together? What's most valuable when we're together in a classroom? What can be done independently? How do those processes go together so that our course designs are effective for students? The same thing happens, I think, within the Pogol project around the strategic plan. What, can, what do we do when we're together or that when, when we bring smaller groups together, like in the working groups? And uh, and how do we leverage, for example, the Pogo National Meeting to catapult things forward? What kind of things can happen independently? Um, and it's just really a great way of uh, anchoring the, um, the work. And I, I mean, I just have to say, I, when I was going back through and looking at some older documents, in the last decade, there's kind of two big projects I've been involved in that I thought, wow, that was just amazing. And this, the, the, the original strategic planning for the Pogo project was one of them. It just felt like these are people who have a shared mission. You know, we've been described as a community of transformation. And I think that that is important in this case. The fact that we've been able to leverage a strategic plan is because we do have a shared mission as well as some shared uh, um, kind of assumptions about how do we, how, how, how intentional should we be when we spend our time together? Thank you. Rick, do you have any, any other final sort of recollections or musings uh, you know, after we've been yeah. here now? I, I, I think that one of the reasons many strategic plans in organizations either fail or are put on a shelf 
has to do with the way the, the leadership of the organization views their role vis-a-vis the rest of their community. And one of the things that um, our, our good colleague Cliff Cusmall repeatedly said during his time on the steering committee was the steering committee is named the steering committee because we're supposed to be steering, right? We're not supposed to be doing all of the work. We're supposed to be steering. We're supposed to be providing a context to make sure the boat is headed in the right direction and making sure that the other people in the organization are able to achieve more than they ever could have imagined they were, they were achieving heading in this direction. And I think that perspective of the leadership of the organization as reflected in the board, as reflected in the steering committee, which is made up of community members, is really one of the other things that, that has enabled our strategic plan to be so successful, right? It's that we view the leadership of the organization as sort of sitting in the back, holding the rudder and steering, right? And the community has decided where we're supposed to go and what and 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 trusting them that they're going to get us there and just making sure we stay on that path. And and I think that's what um, that's another great asset um, of an organization to have uh, leadership that views leadership in that way as a as a as a steering of the of a of an organization. And as I said before, just amazing community members who are willing to put in the work and generate fantastic ideas and get things done. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's it's definitely. It's interesting because people think of a steering committee as a leadership committee that sort of tells everybody else what to do. But within the Pogo project, that is not, <laughs> you know, the steering committee, as you said, guides and sort of provides support, but really a lot of the work gets done by people within the community. Um, and the steering committee is just there to make sure, you know, we're not heading off the cliff or into the iceberg. Uh, so anyway, uh, I really want to thank uh, Susan Shadle from Boise State uh, and uh, Rick Moog from the Pogo Project uh, for sharing your thoughts and recollections and insights uh, into this important structural piece of the Pogo Project. You can't say that about too many organizations. Um, Thanks, Alex. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you both. So later on in this second season of the Pogo Podcast, we will talk with other people associated with various of the working groups that we talked about uh, today to describe their work with the project. Please tune in to more of the Pogo podcast this season for details on all the activities that the project undertakes and how you can become involved in this community of practitioners. Thanks to all of you for listening to today's conversation on the Pogo podcast. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Pogo practitioner, Wayne Pearson. Please join us next time when we discuss the importance of Pogel's national meeting and how it helps move the project's strategic plan forward. Enjoy your week.